Good morning, everyone. My name's Simon. It's good to see you all here. You're all quiet and suspenseful. I like it. Our passage today uh, is directed to husbands and wives. And Peter takes us into the private life of a married person, a Christian who's married to another person, whether that person, whether that partner is Christian or not. And before we get into the text, I think there's two um, potential triggers that I just want to address straight out, straight off the bat before we even get to the text. The first trigger is, as I've just said, uh, this passage is directed to wives and husbands. And I don't want to have a show of hands, but we might, you know, it's not everyone here who is either a wife or a husband. I don't know if anyone is a wife and a husband. Uh, um, but there's, it, it's a direct um, targeted passage. But I want, so it, it could be that um, this is a bit of a trigger for you that um, here's the church talking about a very specific area once again and it doesn't apply to me. I hope that as we listen to this passage, as we listen to Peter talk, that he's actually revealing something even grander than, than, than the marriage union. There's something um, happening, a reason why he puts this in the letter that is for all of us. So I, I do plead with you and pray that if, you're not, if you don't find yourself in either of these categories, a husband or a wife, that you won't tune out, but you actually tune in um, and we'll, we'll, we'll uncover that a little bit as we go. But the second trigger, which just needs to be highlighted, is, um, is that of domestic violence and that it is, a, it is a horrible thing that violence would occur inside a marriage. Um, and what's been more, even quite horrifying in the last uh, 12 or 24 months is the reality that the statistics for domestic violence are just as alarming inside the church as they are outside the church. Um, and so I don't want to pretend that everyone's marriage here is wonderful uh, and um, there's, uh, there is two probably big reasons why domestic violence could even occur inside the church. Uh, one is, of course, sin, and that's why domestic violence occurs. It's the uh, um, putting two people together, um, two sinners together, and, uh, you know, Peter in chapter 2, verse 1, has said to us to rid ourselves of of envy and strife and hypocrisy and things like that, and to live for righteousness. Uh, the, the the Bible does not has got no toleration for um, for domestic violence, for uh, physical, emotional, or or financial um, abuse. But the second fuel for domestic violence could potentially be a shallow understanding of Scripture, and that's what we wanted to address today: is to look at this passage of one Peter and um, and read deeply into it to understand why it's there and uh, not use a passage like this. I don't know how you felt when you heard the words of, you know, the, of the example of Sarah who called her husband Lord. You know, we want to actually stop. Don't be triggered by that. Let's look at the scriptures and, and uncover what is it that God is asking us. So let me just uh, pray once again as we get into the passage. Father, I do thank you for all of Scripture, and we, we thank you for uh, the gift of marriage, and we thank you, Lord, for Peter's um, direction of us as we look into the private life of a Christian inside a marriage relationship. Father, please um, uh, help us to understand what you want us to understand. I pray, Lord, that we'd be all edified this morning because we've looked at your word and are growing because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
The first phrase there is a jarring one. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. It's very jarring, isn't it? Um, you'd be forgiven for, for being alert and thinking, well, this, is, this seems unfair, it seems archaic. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In what same way are wives to submit to their husbands? Um, as you're reading the context of 1 Peter, it gets a bit harsh because you, one, of the, one of the most, the closest comparisons is of slaves submitting to their masters and so it sounds horrible that Peter is saying that women wives should submit to your husbands like a slave submits to a master that doesn't sound very comforting at all Uh, and then the more immediate context is of Jesus going to the cross and putting up a lot of suffering um, for the sake of the gospel but let me just let's look at the passage do you you notice in verse 1 it says wives in the same way and then in verse 7, it says, husbands, in the same way. So it, it uh, begs the question, what does in the same way mean? It, I suggest it doesn't may, mean submit in the same way. It means with in the same attitude, wives do this, husbands do that. So what does in the same way as what? What is he, what is he asking us to compare uh, this attitude to? Well, a little fly over 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3. You're probably starting to memorise this verse now. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new, new birth, new life into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter reminds us all that in Christ we now are being born again. The first birth ends in death, but the new birth ends in eternal life, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. We've been given a new reality and a new perspective to think about things. And this new perspective, uh, this new reality, uh, invites us to think of ourselves in this world as strangers, as aliens and strangers. In verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17, um, thank you. Uh, in verse, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Live as strangers here in reverent fear. Live as strangers here. So first of all, Peter says, look, on this, on this world, in this world, we need to consider ourselves as born again, living a life for Christ, and strangers to the patterns of this world. In reverent fear, not in a horizontal fear that we fear our fellow human beings, but that we have a reverent fear of God as the judge and the ruler and the, and the carer and the one who would send his son to save us, have this reverent re- relationship with God, this horizontal, this vertical fear, which wipes away our horizontal fear. We're, we're thinking about the world we live in a little bit differently. In chapter 2, verse 12, uh, it says... Yes, we got it, okay. Uh, chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Live such good lives that uh, though they see your good... Uh, uh, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his uh, appearance. That we are to live lives that other people take notice of. Our transformed, strange life is to be something that's noteworthy. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 15, a few verses later, says, "By By doing good, you might silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You see, our outward actions are to... Be uh, to respond to the great mercy that God has shown us. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17, we looked at this one last week. Uh, we are to show proper respect to everybody. We are to show proper respect to everybody. And Peter begins to talk about various pockets 
of our world, and he began by talking about us and the government. We're to show proper respect. In fact, he used the word honour, to honour the government. We're to show proper respect uh, to our bosses. He talked about slaves and masters, and we are to show them proper respect. He's now taking us into the private life of, uh, of a husband and wife, and next week we go into how we're to show proper respect in, in public to the, to the community around us. But there's another verse, which I haven't written on your outlines. It's chapter 2, verse 24. At the end of last week's passage, we celebrated. We, we were in awe and wonder, praising God for what he would do for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus would take our sin on his body and bear it on the cross so that, verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. There is these two realms We're either living for sin or we're living for righteousness and it's the cross of Christ that makes that divide. We can't just decide one day, I'm going to stop sinning and live for righteousness. That's works, salvation, and it's impossible. But we come to the cross, we thank God that he would bear our sins for us and because of his death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit now, we are able to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. It's a, it's a gift. So chapter 2, verse 24, we are now long, we, we want to say no to sin and live for righteousness. And it's in all of those passages, in the same way, being conscious of God, reverent fear of God, in our acknowledgement of what God has done for us at the cross, that is how we are going to live our lives. And now he addresses um, wives specifically. He says, with, with all that in mind, in the same way, with the same nature, with the same perspective, with the same um, attitude of mind, submit to your husbands. Uh, so let's look at what he says to the wives. I think that there's just there's six verses there, but I think there's just one message, and that is to don't fight for leadership. Don't fight for leadership. Marriages are not about power play. It seems a bit funny that we, that we would even entertain that idea that when two people become one and decide to live their lives together for the rest of their lives, that that then becomes a power play, that who's going to submit to who? Or are we both, is it both equal partners? Or how does this all pan out? Just remember, as our Old Testament reading reminded us, that in, chapter, in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, uh, we're told that the, the man will leave his mother and father, leave his family of origin and join his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In verse 25, it says that, that Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame. What, a, what, a, what an incredible picture. Uh, it's, not a, um, it's not a placard for nudist colonies, you know, that we're all supposed to get naked now. It, it's a little insight that before sin entered the world, there was a reality where a husband and wife could be completely exposed, completely vulnerable with each other, and it was described as beautiful. That two, a man and a woman would come together and live in such unity and harmony that there, was, that there is no embarrassment, there is no um, humility, and there's no shame. That is a glorious picture. That is a wonderful picture. Marriages are not about power play. They're not for power play. They, were, they, they weren't fighting each other, but they were together. There's the image I think we need to have in our minds Submission doesn't mean suppression. Uh, and there is, there is an order, but it's not to be ordered. Just notice that this is a, an, an, um, 
a passage for wives to listen to, not for husbands to teach their wives. Do you understand? There is an order, but it's not to be ordered. But the passage flows out and, and, and builds on what this looks like. What does it look like to, to live together, to, to live in harmony, to not fight for leadership, to submit, to join with your husband and be partners with him? Um, the first point, and really is the reason for this, this um, command or this instruction, is so that you might win him over. It's quite possible that the, the, the wife, in, in Peter's view, is married to a, an unbeliever. And his instruction is not to get out of the marriage. His instruction is to, to love him. To, be, to continue to be one with him in marriage so that he might possibly be won over, being won over by your actions. It says in verses 1 and 2, uh, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So there's a... A sermon to your husband not being preached but being shown. It may be that your behaviour is way better than any sermon you preach. As, you, as your desire for him, uh, if you are a, a, a Christian uh, woman, wife, living uh, with, a, with an unbeliever or a not yet believer, then your, your very um, attitude to him may win him over uh, when they see the purity and reverence you see, this is a, not an instruction for purity and reverence directed to the husband, but your purity and reverence under the umbrella of God as you live in God's world being born again. Your purity, which is an instruction for all Christians, isn't it? Chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourself of all sin and malice. Uh, live pure lives. Live for righteousness. This is not an instruction just for women. This is instruction for all of us who come to God and to live reverent lives. And as your husband sees you, they might be won over. It's not to say that if you're a Christian husband living with an unbelieving wife that you can't win them over either by your, your purity and your reverence to God. There's the concept of being won over. Live in reverence. Let that be seen. Your behaviour might be the best sermon uh, that your spouse has ever, ever witnessed. Then he moves on to being beautiful. Verses 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, this, this, these values or virtues of, of gentleness and a quiet spirit they smell awfully similar to the fruits of the Spirit, don't they? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I might have said one of those things twice. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is anti-hostility. It is, a, it is about um, having a, a, a right response to everyone around you. And, and Peter wants the, the spirit of wives to grow in the Spirit of God, that your that the spirit, uh, that the let the spirit of God shine like a diamond, being more glamorous than any clothes that you put on. Isn't this something we could say to men as well? 
you know, I think this one of the, one of the things with, that gives us a knee-jerk reaction is that we say, oh, it says this to women and it's a suppression to women, but, this, but the, the, it's an outflowing of what, of what the Word of God says to all of us. That, we, that, that, that uh, you know, he's approaching wives and women, but ought not men to take note of this as well? In an in a age where the six-pack is, is king, you know, shouldn't it be our, our spiritual um, virtues, our growing in godliness that is king? So wives, adorn yourselves with that beauty that shines in the eyes of God. A glow because of the grace of God that is in you. Allow the Spirit of God to, to take that work, to take hold of your spirit um, and your endeavours and your ambition and grow in you to be a mature woman for, for Christ. So being uh, that your husbands might be won over, that you'd be growing in, in beauty, homes shouldn't be a war zone, should they? Having a, beautiful, uh, a gentle and quiet spirit. And being Godward, verses 5 and 6, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Again, I, I totally understand when verses like this um, get us a bit tense. Uh, but when we, if we stop and meditate and consider what Peter has said and what the Old Testament says, then we, we, be, we begin to learn. We actually embrace God's word and learn a little bit. Hope in God like Sarah did. We need to be God would. Do you know, using Sarah as a case study is, is very interesting. There was only one point in the Old Testament where Sarah referred to Abraham as Lord, only one verse in the Old Testament, and it was when, he, when she was considering how old Abraham is and that he's not actually going to be ready to, to have a baby. You know, she's going to do all the hard work. But, uh, you know, in, his old, in my, the age of my Lord. Um, and uh, it's not the same kind of Lord that we celebrate Jesus. Uh, he's the Lord of all. And, uh, and she regarded, regarded Abraham as uh, the leader of that household you might remember, as you read through the story of Genesis and following Abraham and Sarah's story, how assertive Sarah was in that relationship. She spoke up, and Abraham listened and at times did what she said, and both of them uh, came up with bad decisions, and both of them did uh, some, uh, showed their, um, their lack of faith as they tried to pursue God together. I think what, what stands out mostly between Sarah and Abraham is this, that when God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you, Abraham, to get up and leave your family, your, your extended family, and go and take everything with you to a, a land that I will show you, to go blindly to somewhere that you haven't seen yet. And Abraham went and Sarah went with her. The, 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 the gold stamp with Sarah and Abraham is that they followed the plans of God together. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty, they did it quite poorly. Uh, but they did it together. And uh, I want to say again that, that Sarah spoke up often and, uh, and was a collaborator in their journey. 
In the, la- the last phrase, I think, is what shines mostly in this, in this section. Verse 6, uh, the, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Why is giving way to fear the thing that's going to betray um, a wife's response to this passage? Well, it'll be this lack of trust with your husband. It'll be this lack of trust in God who is sovereign over all. As we, uh, as we allow our sinful natures to overtake and do what sin produces quickly and, and, and firmly, and that is to fight and strive for strength. But if we do not give in to fear but entrust ourselves to God, then we can pursue a life with our spouse that is aimed at being together, not hostile. I think that's what shines out of this passage. A reverent fear of God means no fear of submission or aligning with your spouse. Actually offer yourself to another human being. That's a scary thing, isn't it? But this is what marriages do. Two people come together and become a a different unit. Fear feeds uh, the feminist, I think. Uh, But God is is encouraging us to put our trust in God and to move forward in faith. I I found it really helpful in our latest Southern Cross magazine. That's our Anglican um, monthly magazine. They're available in the foyer right now, and the one I'm talking about is available in the foyer right here. There's a little section on domestic violence, and Sandy um, Grant has given us um, a wonderful little piece. He uh, highlighted um, one verse in the Old Testament, which is Proverbs Proverbs 2, verse 22, It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. At no point here does the Bible say that a wife is to submit to their husband no matter what. Uh, We're going to move to husbands momentarily. We're going to move to them in a second. But there's there's no space in the scriptures here for a wife to feel like they need to stay with their husband who is treating them violently, who is being barbaric, ungodly, and and being in the home is horrible. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Friends, if, that, if, if, um, if you need to talk to someone, you need to talk to someone today. Um, I'm, I'm available to, to talk to and I can give you um, places to go and get some help if you need that. But I, I, I want us to remember that we let grace win. You know, at the very birthplace of sin... It was, the, it was the marriage of a, of a husband and wife. The very birthplace of sin in the world, marriage was the first um, casualty uh, because they were striving against each other. Peter says, because of the work of Christ at the cross, we can say no to sin, we can put death to sin and live for righteousness and we can see marriages flourish. I think that's the virtue, that's the gold uh, in, in here. But let's move to husbands. Husbands, choose life with your wife. I think that's the the overarching message here. Choose life with your wife. In the same way, it says there in verse 7, in the same way, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. They're told, first of all, to be considerate. Um, Guys, you're married. You are married. Uh, When you... Uh, when you do commit your life to another person, then your life changes forever. You're no longer that single, go- single guy who gets his own way all the time. You need to be considerate. 
the world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, you have, you know, if we were doing a, a sermon on 1 Corinthians 7, I'd have a lot more to say about um, being married and being unmarried. But, but we are to live our lives with our wife. Uh, we are, we're, we're doing this together. We're in it together. Uh, you're no longer the centre of the universe. He says to be respectful. Um, verse 7. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. I'll just stop there. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Again, another verse that gets us arced up, but you know, there's a reason why there's a Socceroo team and a Miltilda team. Um, the, 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 one of the blunt things to say is that um, all things being equal, um, blokes will win in an arm wrestle. You know, that's not to say that there will be plenty of women who would beat me in an arm wrestle. I'm not saying that. It's that when, when we compare oranges with oranges, apples with apples, um, blokes can be bullies and bulldozers and, and the women will, will be casualties. The statistics um, are, are, speak for themselves. In domestic violence, it's the women who suffer most. There's, there's the statistics. So men, understand, you know, to use that, um, that quote from... Stan Lee in the, in the Spider-Man universe. With great power comes great responsibility. Uh, if, if, if you believe that there's an authority in the, in the home, authority is for care. It's for love. It's to care for the other. Uh, being respectful. Remember the statistics. But the, the passage lands with the most beautiful moment. Respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, there's no, there's no view of the future where you will enter the gates of heaven with your wife walking behind you. That's not the picture that we're given here. We walk in side by side. Uh, you are not the shepherd of your wife. Jesus is. He, you didn't die for the sins of your wife. Jesus did. You are not the shepherd and overseer of her soul. Jesus is. And Jesus is your shepherd and overseer. Together we are co-heirs with, God, uh, with Jesus as we, as we look forward to this inheritance that would never perish, spoil or fade. As we are realigning our minds to be strangers in this world, not to think the way the world does and not to strive and struggle the way this world does, but to... But to not give in to fear and, in, and embrace the relationships that we have, lean into them so that they will thrive and not be at, at ends with each other. As we do this because our minds have been transformed by the gospel, let's remember that the gospel required the death of God's son, that it's his precious blood that saves men and women, married, unmarried, young, old, of every nation and tongue. It's this gracious gift that's offered to all of us. And so what we're being reminded here is to live lives that are different, to live lives that celebrate the goodness of God, to live lives that actually dare to love, (laughs) to live lives that actually dare to care for somebody else, even when it's a put out for you. Friends, this last line, so that nothing will hinder your prayers how can you be a brute in one room and then go into another room and talk to your Heavenly Father as if he would listen to you? It just doesn't make sense to, to be harsh with one relationship and expect your Heavenly Father to, uh, to ignore it. 
the first thing we need to do is to, uh, is to love our wives, love all the relationships in our life. Uh, as the Lord's Prayer says, to forgive as, as, I, as we forgive others. That's how we are to live and respond. We're being told to live a new life. Um, marriage was the first casualty of sin, and so it makes sense that when Peter talks about this new life, that he talks about a, a husband and wife that the marriage should shine. And not only would your life, your Christian, um, uh, your demonstration of a Christian life shine in community, but your, your life with your husband or your wife should shine together. Um, I, I need to close in prayer and pray for us all uh, as we pursue this, as we grapple with this. It could be that I've raised more questions than answered them. Um, please feel free to use the comment cards to ask questions. Um, grab me over morning tea and have a chat uh, about all this. But it's the, it's the grace of God that allows us to live transformed lives. So let's love God and celebrate him as our King, Saviour and the Shepherd of our souls. Let's pray. Lord, you created all things and you created um, men and we, women Lord, we have, um, we have seen the wickedness of this world. We have seen the damage that uh, is clear. And Lord, in, in, um, in marriage relationships uh, across the world and in our society, the statistics show us that it's, um, it's messy. It can be very messy. Um, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be so gripped by the gospel, to be so gripped by the, the mercy that you've shown, the grace that you've given us, and the new life that you invite us to, to enjoy. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to grow in godliness and righteousness and to pursue righteousness. We thank you, Father, that we are able, by your Son and through your Spirit, to say no to sin and yes, uh, yes to um, holy lives, being holy because you are holy. I pray particularly, Lord, for um, husbands and wives in our congregations. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to love one another, to lay down our selfish ambitions and to seek the better of our partners. And we pray, Lord, that um, as you bless all of us, help us to um, see clearly the, um, the, the gift of eternal life that will never perish spoil and fade and motivate all of us to pursue this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.